Today we're talking about Lobo, a very intelligent wolf who led an infamous pack of wolves in New Mexico. Welcome to Extinction Event. Hi, Jack. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Oh, I'm just wonderful. I'm so excited right now to talk about Lobo the Wolf. Right. Do you, Lobo is Spanish for wolf. Oh. Did you know that? I'm learning things already. <laughs> I did know that. Yeah, it's pretty... I'd say a lot of people know that, but... Just in case. Uh, but the story itself, I just learned about recently, and I'm super excited to share it, even though I guess there's a Disney movie about it. About Lobo? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a secret story by any means. Mm. I'm going to try and make it a little more relevant to what we're doing. Okay. Uh, because obviously, wolves are not extinct in North America yet, but it really feels like we're taking all of the typical extinction event steps to kind of get there. It's oh, just so taking like a long a, time. A pre-extinction yeah. event. I'm not going to get too deep into, you know, the ongoing extinction of, of wolves in North America, but... I'm sure there's another episode that does that. We haven't done it yet, no. We talked about the Japanese wolf, but um, not the ones in... In America. So if you're interested, just go back, listen to that one, and then just apply all that to America. A little bit. All right. It's kind of different. I just mainly want to focus on the story of Lobo here, but the reason I'm telling it is that, and the reason I think it works as an extinction event story is because it echoes the narrative of the extinction of wolves in North America. It's following the playbook. Yeah, in a way. Uh, but before we get into all that, I've got some housework, and I was thinking like a podcast is a little bit like an apartment. <laughs> like the longer you're there, the longer you've had it, the uh -huh. more cluttered it gets, and you don't really notice the smell. Oh yeah, yeah. So someone just listening is like, whoa, Th this is a lot of baggage that I wasn't signing up for. A lot of housekeeping. They're just walking in, and it's very pungent. Well, hit me. What yeah, is this? Yeah, okay. Well, last week, if you remember, I said I'm going to do frogs and toads. Whoa. <laughs> I said I was going to do frogs and toads. Uh-huh. We're not doing that. Uh, so I apologize to everybody who was really excited. Promises broken. Okay. Uh, and we also talked about how I'm going to stop apologizing for mispronouncing anything. That's going to take out a lot of each episode. That's like at least 10 minutes <laughs> per epi. epi. At this point, just accept it as part of the stench of the podcast. <laughs> Does that work? Yes. Yeah. So there's that. Also, just get used to like... We're going to butcher every pronunciation. Melissa's no longer going to apologize for it. It's just a waste of my time and yours to apologize. Well, I never apologized for it. I appreciate that in you. Thank you. Okay, the other thing is last episode we asked anyone, specifically Heather, 
to answer once and for all why horses are so fragile. And coming up a little later in the voicemail, we're going to get our answer. So building suspense, I'm just hyping that up. Stay, you know, try to stay tuned beyond the first five minutes this time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that's about it. Do you want to just jump in? Yeah. Let's do it. Humans and wolves have always been kind of scared of each other. Humans don't really have a very good reason to be scared of wolves, though. Hmm. hmm. Do they? No, they don't. Um. Have you seen a wolf growl? Have you seen a dog growl? Yes. And there's a reason to be scared of both. They're showing their teeth. Their big bitey teeth. I guess I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's a li- <laughs> that is a little scary. <laughs> but the the truth of it is that is just kind of there to warn you and scare you. They don't normally act on that. There's not been a lot of human deaths caused by wolves is what I'm getting at here. Okay. And the ones that have are usually because the wolf was sick or had rabies. So it gets a pass. They, you know, they weren't in their right mind. If they were being put on trial for murder, what what is they? They yeah, they like plead insanity. Right. In North America, from 1900 to 2000, there were no deaths from healthy wolves. So, hundred years, no deaths. Woo. There were some from rabid wolves, but I'm not. I didn't. I didn't look up how those many. don't count. They don't, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 2005 and 2010, wolves did kill. It was in Canada and Alaska. And the first one was because they were being fed by the man who was eventually killed. Mm-hmm. Which kind of reminded me of the grizzly man story in a way. You know, he's trying to make friends with the wolves and they're becoming a- adapted to him, but they're still wild animals. Yeah. He kind of didn't respect that buffer zone. Grizzly man, that was definitely the case. It was like, we're not going to mess with grizzlies. Grizzlies won't mess with us. And he didn't respect that. He wanted to breach that boundary and become besties. And we all know what happened. Yeah. He got eight. I get it. What's so crazy is that I get that now that we're talking about the wolves because I would love to be friends with wolves. I don't want to this be friends well with This is well documented. Yeah. <laughs> so I understand the desire to want to get really close, but don't. it's a bad idea. Yeah. It's about having that buffer. Okay. Don't breach the buffer. No. The second one uh, in 2010, they don't really know what happened there. They just found a woman's body on the side of the road and through DNA testing, they were able to trace that back to wolves. Um, and it, it doesn't look like that he had rabies. He or she had rabies. So, but whatever, that's two in a hundred years, basically. Yeah. Uh, to put just things in perspective, on average, more than 1,500 people per year die from drowning. 
So that's when I say we don't really need to be scared. Of you should be teeth. more scared of water than wolves. Yes. Well, maybe if water growled and showed their big, sharp, scary teeth, we'd respect water a little bit more. You're right. We need that warning. It's like a nature's signal to us, and uh, water's just not giving us that. I mean, water can be scary, 100%. Well, maybe not a pool. A pool. Have you seen like a black bottom pool? Terrifying. Yeah. At night. You go look down there and there might as well be a shark. Wow. Yeah. If not, you have manifested a shark. Yeah. I don't know how the shark got in there, but it's (laughs) definitely in there. (laughs) Yes. I love that. Okay. Where were... I was going to ask, have you seen a wolf in person? Have I seen a wolf in person? (laughs) Come on, Melissa. I know, I know. Yes, I've seen several wolves. Wild wolves. I've seen a wild wolf. I've ran with the wolves, (sighs) sort of, in my car. And they were outside the car, also running. He, okay, again, was this one of those like drive through wilderness parks? You asked me if I've seen a wolf. The answer is yes. Are you trying to like ask me if I've ever infiltrated a wolf pack I don't and like lived to... with them? <laughs> Wait, what? I'm saying, are you asking me if I tried to infiltrate a wolf pack and live with them, or have I seen a wolf? Because yes, I've seen a wild wolf. Uh, and do they scare you? No, they just look like dogs. Yeah, they do. They do. They look like huskies. Okay, so yes, we should be more scared of water than wolves. There, and I think there's a lot of other animals we should be more scared of. I think there's a much bigger chance of like a wild cat or a Komodo bear. dragon. Are you scared of Komodo dragon? Yeah, I'm not. No, they're pretty fast, right? Are they? I wouldn't know. I've never seen any footage or anything of a Komodo dragon like taking down a prey that could move. I've only seen them eating dead stuff on the ground and they're like, oh, but their bite is venomous. It's like, so can't you just like move out of the way? (laughs) Also, I think they're not as big as we think of them in our head. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not like little garden lizards, but they're not alligators, right? They're a little smaller. That's what I'm saying. I'm not not scared. Okay, so what are you scared of then? Well, not a Komodo dragon. (laughs) Top number one animal. If one comes crawling through this door right here, I'll be like, Melissa, stop what you're doing. Please come stand on the couch and you'll be safe from this Komodo dragon. And excuse me while I bop him on the head with a pillow. Okay, maybe not a pillow, but you know, the chair. Fair and defeat enough. this guy. Okay. Would you like to help? What are you scared of then? Animals. Number top number one. I don't want to encounter this animal out in the oh, wild. Bear. Bear. Bear would mess you up. They're very fast. They're very strong. Um, shark I don't want to encounter. Oh. I mean the chances of me being eaten are slim. But I don't want that. I don't want to deal with that at all. There's so many. Like, wolf is pretty far down the line. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah, bear, terrifying. Any kind of big cat. Yeah, mountain lion is, is 
underrated on the fear scale. Yeah. You could just be like going on a little hike, mountain lion, boom, ripping your face mm-hmm, off. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, I mean, there's not a lot of these left, but gorillas. Oh, yeah. I was going to say chimpanzees, but okay, any great ape is, has been masked by Disney movies. Right. You know, to the people think like, oh, they're my buddies. Nope. You're going to watch yourself be eviscerated. You're going to have every single finger on your hand be bit off. <laughs> it's not fun. While you watch. <laughs> I know what I'm saying. They're, they're murderers. They're chimps, gorillas. Yeah. Yeah. That would actually be my number one. I'm not saying that you should go out. You should never go out and try and like make friends or talk to a wolf. I'm just saying that they're not as scary as a lot of the other things out there. They don't want no part of you. Yeah, they don't. They're we've almost extincted them. They're terrified of us. <laughs> Moving on. So our true contention with wolves stems from our livestock. Wolves have been known to eat some cattle or sheep on occasion, and ranchers do not like that. So for centuries in America, we do everything we can to eradicate them. We even implement government-sponsored bounties. Well, well. Right. opened up the extinction toolbox. (laughs) And what'd you pull out? From its sheath, the bounty. <laughs> Again, oh, reliable. <laughs> exactly. It's really amazing that we haven't extincted them yet. And I'm not going to tell that story today, but this is kind of where our story about Lobo begins. Ready? Yes. We're in New Mexico, the land of enchantment. It's the year 1893. And we got a wolf problem. One pack of wolves in particular had been preying on livestock in Kurumpaw Valley. And of course, they're going after the livestock because hunters had killed all of the bison, elk, and pronghorn in the area already. And that was their regular food source. So no mystery why they're going after them. And uh, everyone's trying to kill these wolves. It's, I think it's a pack of eight. I don't know. Go watch the Disney movie. (laughs) Maybe it was less. And everyone's setting traps. They're putting out poison meat. They're hunting them. But nothing is working. They allegedly would remove the poisoned hunks of meat and eat the non-poisoned bits. They're smart. Yeah. And this has got to be driving those ranchers crazy because they're used to just easy kills of pretty much everything, right? Yeah. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this. This is like the good old days when you can just go up with a big heavy stick and bring home a whole winter's worth of meals. Yeah. Just by bopping them on the head. Yeah. And so the ranchers are getting pretty pissed. And... They put up a huge bounty on this pack, specifically a bounty on the head of the alpha wolf, Lobo. I like this story already because it feels like an Old West, you know, (laughs) 
outlaw gang story. Yeah. Right? There's a bounty. There's a leader of the pack. It totally feels like this is Billy the Kid and his gang going around robbing banks. And the law is trying to hunt him down. Yeah. And we're all rooting for Lobo and his pack. Mm-hmm. Um, they put a $1,000 bounty on his head, which seems like a lot for, what, 1890s money, right? It's like a publicity stunt. How's that for real? $1,000? He was. I'm telling you, this is like a super smart wolf. And they just, that's what I'm saying. They caught it. They probably could have just let it go, but they were so mad and their pride was hurt that they couldn't get him. That's what I'm thinking. That it's not even about him. How many livestock are they losing? That's what I'm saying. It can't be that much. That's crazy. So that's a lot of money. And understandably, it lures in the best wolfers, which, you know, it's like wolf hunters. Yeah. From far and wide. Enter Ernest Thompson Sutton, the best of the best. Well, you would know as soon as he swung through those saloon doors <laughs> and the piano player stopped. And, you know, the chairs started screeching as everybody cranes their necks to look. And there he is. What's his name? Ernest Thompson Sutton. He's the best of the best. <laughs> Probably got like a wolf pelt hat. Oh, yeah. That... Wolf tail for a tie. You think you're a pretty good wolfer, and then you come into town and open those saloon doors, and the music doesn't stop? Mm. <laughs> uh, no. Nah. That's a. You just low. go sit in the table with all the other junior wolfers. Right. But actually, the truth is, I couldn't really tell if he was all that great. From what I gathered, he was more experienced as an artist who drew mostly animals and nature. Mm. Uh, but a couple of sources I found made it sound like he was a really top-notch hunter. I just, I could not verify. Conflicted soul. I don't know. Did anybody watch this Disney movie? I never even heard of it. <laughs> Somebody tell us. Was he a good hunter or just a good artist? This guy... Ernest, he's originally from England, and his family moved to Canada when he was little. And a side note, his father was like a real piece of work. Um, Allegedly, on Ernest's 21st birthday, his father gave him an invoice for all the expenses related to his yes. childhood. <laughs> yes. Including the hospital bill for his birth. This dad rules. He do, it's doing what every dad on the planet wishes they could do. No. And he actually did it. Wow. It's it's a dick move. <laughs> I, I think he's also pretty serious alcoholic <laughs> and likely abusive. Um, well, yeah. Obviously, I'm going to side with Ernest on this one because yeah. he didn't ask to be born. You can't stick some exactly. one of the bill with something they did in order. Exactly. That's funny. Uh, I guess Ernest ended up paying the bill. Wow. Yeah. But he never spoke to his father again, which I'm like, that's probably a really good decision. Seems like a very toxic relationship. That's crazy. I know. Anyhow, he comes down from Canada 
uh, to try his hand at catching Lobo. For two weeks, he follows the trail of the pack, setting specialized traps. And I don't know if his traps were more special than the regular hunters. I don't know. I'm going to assume maybe. I mean, he's an artist, right? There's probably a bit of flourish. Right. They at least look better. The presentation of the poison meat has got like a little sprig of, yeah, I don't know, cilantro or something. <laughs> okay, so he's doing the traps. He's putting out poison meat. And once again, Lobo and his pack would just move the poisoned meat. Ernest claimed that it would be moved into a pile and then defecated on. Yes. <laughs> He's like, this is not no ordinary wolf we're dealing with. He's a shitter. I love that. Yeah, easily the biggest sign of intelligence right there. Yeah. In my version of this movie, he's done the flaming bag of poop trick (laughs) to, like, the sheriff. (laughs) The wolf? Yeah. Sheriff, come quick, there's fire. He comes, stamps it out. That's just poop all over it. And then the wolf is like 100 <laughs> yards out. Oh, and runs away. I Son of a bitch. It's so funny. And I had to look up. At first, I thought I got it wrong. And it, the, the wolves had just urinated on it. Because that seems pretty normal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be, like, this is bad meat. Hey, Don't. nobody nobody eat this. I'm going to pee on I'm, it. Yeah, right. And it's pretty easy to do. But in my mind, if it's defecating, you almost see like the little sign. When it's like, don't poop on this lawn. And there's like a pooping dog. Yeah. So Lobo was in that position above the stack of meat. Oh, yeah. And all his friends are cracking <laughs> Right. That's purely a uh, prankster play. By the leader of the pack. Right. Like, the rest of the wolves are dying. Yeah. Laughing so right. hard. Because this Lobo just dropped Trow, and it's just going to send him a message. <laughs> so good. So, yeah, he's defecating on the poisoned meat, and Ernest keeps trying, and he's out there for, I think, four months, which is like... Oh. Three months into that, you got to be like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Maybe I should go back to just painting. God, what a sweet... All for a thousand bucks. I would do it. I got to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's trying new traps. I don't know, man. The four months, that's a long time, it right? Is. It is. It's a whole season. But he's not having much luck. Um, and then he gets an idea. He notices that whenever he sees Lobo's tracks, he also sees a companion set of tracks along with it, which is not that of a big of a surprise. It's, you know, a pack. Yeah. But I guess he was able to see that it was like this one specific track. Maybe after four months, he could identify which track was related to which person. Mm-hmm. A person. Well, the dog. Wolf. Right. So there is a hierarchy in a wolf pack, and you usually have the alphas. There's a male and a female. You have a beta. And you can tell them by like all the monster energy drinks. 
that have been strewn around the tracks. Right. That's definitely the alpha. Yeah. So there's the alphas and there's a beta. There's some mid-ranking wolves and an omega, which is like, you know, gets made fun of a lot. How about a little love for the mid-rankers, huh? Everybody knows about alphas. All the betas get made fun of. Omega's the, you know, the butt of all the jokes. What about just the mid-ranking, everyday, hard-working wolves out there who get no recognition? They should. They do a lot of work. They take care of the pups when the alphas are out doing alpha stuff. They keep it together, you know? They don't even get names, just mid-rankers. Okay, so what Ernest was seeing was the alpha female's tracks next to Lobo. And her name is Blanca. Ooh. He gets the idea to trap Blanca and use her to lure Lobo in. He's going to take a hostage. Yeah. I can see this. This is this is the Western movie playing out. He's going to get this damsel in distress and use the only thing that this wolf cares about against him. Yeah. Tragic. Classic bad guy move. Yeah. Oh, man. Do you think he's going to tie her to some train tracks? <laughs> there has to be dynamite involved. Is he going to defecate on her? Ooh, that would be an alpha move. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think And about- considering this guy paid back his dad's life bill, I'm not saying that he's an alpha. <laughs> That's definitely a mid-ranking, maybe an omega move. Oh, Ernest the Omega. Okay, what do you think about taking a little break to go through the voicemail? Okay. When we started the episode, Jack, I told you that last week we asked for some somebody to shine a light on this issue we have with horses being so fragile it seems like they're always breaking their legs and just immediately being put down yeah and specifically i have a horse friend heather which is also a very horse name right yes that's a a name of person who would like horses Mm -hmm. and asked her to call in and let us know what's up and she did yay i have to warn you there's a lot of cursing (laughs) The recording is not great. Our voicemail lacks any sort of special audio abilities. So it's, Hey, I'll take it. Okay. It's a little long. It's like three minutes, but it's really concise. Okay. Hey, Melissa. This is Heather. You gave me a shout out last week asking about how delicate horses are. Domestic horses can be pretty delicate. I don't know about one swipe of a tiger's paw breaking their leg, but it would certainly rip through their muscles and tendons and bring them down. But fortunately, it's not that common that horses break their leg. It's dramatic when they do, especially if they are a Kentucky Derby winning horse and he breaks his leg on television in front of 10 million viewers. Anyway, 
often when they do break a leg, they're being asked to do something very strenuous, maybe beyond their capacity. But one of the wonderful things about horses is how much heart they have and how much they will do for the person they trust. Racehorses put all their heart into running. A show jumper is willing to jump a fence that he may not even be able to see the other side of because his rider asks him to. He puts his faith in his rider. I think horses can out-faithful a dog. So if a horse is not ready for what their person is asking of them, he's not strong enough, he's not muscled enough, his heart and lungs aren't strong enough, it can end catastrophically for the horse. But I think the real reason people have the perception that horses are delicate is because when they do break a leg, they are usually euthanized. First of all, when a horse's leg breaks, because of the size and weight of the animal, it tends to shatter, like the bones tend to shatter. If they don't shatter, if it's a fracture where it can be repaired, the horse has to be put in a sling for months at a time. And this just doesn't work for a horse for just way too many reasons to list in your 90 seconds here. I think that Jack asked, um, how did horses get those long skinny legs in the first place? Well, totally from humans breeding them that way. They've been doing studies on animal genes lately, and they have now traced all domestic horses back to a horse that lived in the western part of the Eurasian steppe, which happens to be where Jawalski's horses are from. And those horses were short, stocky animals with thick legs. The modern-day thoroughbred has been bred by people for speed. They're like the Ferraris of the horse world. So that's how they got those long, skinny legs. Wow. I feel very educated. I feel like I got a PhD in horses. <laughs> um, a lot of great points raised. I immediately thought of the movie Hidalgo, which you've seen, yes? Yeah. You've seen Hidalgo. I don't remember what happened. Vigo Mortensen. It's a horse with a lot of heart. And Heather makes a great point there that this perception of being fragile are pretty unfair because they are doing what their riders are asking them to and they've been bred into these... They've been bred beyond their capabilities. Yeah. It's like getting mad at a pug because it doesn't run 10 miles. It's like, it's what you made it. You made it so it can't run anywhere. That's crazy. We did it. Thank you, Heather. Yeah, I will just say... Excellent explanation. Is it not pretty obvious that Heather's a teacher? Yes. I feel like I am in school right now. I've been schooled. Yeah. Just the like, how concise and just... She laid it out in the, the short amount of time you can record on our voicemail. I'm just like, wow. Where's her podcast? Mm-hmm. Heather, you should do a horse podcast. Horsing around with Heather. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling in and clearing that up for me and Jack. I don't know. Do you think you'll be a little less hard on horses moving forward? I will think twice before I criticize a horse again for okay. a while. 
And that was the voicemail. Back to the episode. Where were we? I don't remember. Okay, Ernest decides he's going to trap Blanca and use her to lure in Lobo. So what does he do? He sets up traps in a narrow passage and puts a big cattle head in there. Hmm. Uh, And the details are a little hazy. I don't know if this worked on the first try, you know? He just did this once and it worked, or... If it took four more months, but eventually Blanca, she falls for the bait and gets trapped. Wow. I'm just going to accept it because I don't know how you aim for one specific wolf. Like Lobo couldn't, he have easily fallen for the same trick. You need to just get lucky and catch Blanca. The way I understand it is that Lobo is the highly intelligent wolf that is leading the other wolves. Yeah. So how do you aim for Blanca? Well, you know Lobo isn't going to go for it. But you do think maybe Lobo would have said, Blanca, maybe it's not a good idea to go for that cattle head. I know it looks really good, but that's a trap. But you think he would have given her a warning. Maybe they were fighting. Ah, man. Probably. Probably. So Ernest and his partner... They discover Blanca in the trap, and Lobo, he's right there. He's next to her. But when he sees them, he bolts, and he watches from a safe distance as they, you know, go towards Blanca. Uh, And first, Ernest, he snaps a photo of Blanca. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, in the trap. And you can see this photo online. It still exists. Whoa. Uh and then he shoots Blanca. What? Which is weird to me. I thought we were going to do a, like a live hostage situation here, you know? Yeah, that definitely does not go with the plan. Maybe it was his This partner. is crossed into I'm trying to This is like personal vengeance against Lobo. Yeah, he's watching his love Get shot. It's messed up. Ernest. What? Ernest is this full on bad guy territory. Yeah. He's the full villain. This is a Sergio Leone movie. (laughs) Okay. So he shoots her and then he ties her to a horse and drags her back to the ranch house that he's staying at. For days after this incident, Lobo howls, these like sad morning howls, totally understandable. And I'm assuming he knows that she's gone, but he also knows that Blanca's body is at Ernest's ranch house because he can smell it, right? Mm-hmm. And he saw Ernest drag it back. And I, Ernest is hoping that that's going to draw Lobo in. He sets up traps all around the ranch. The rumor is that it was around 100 traps that he sets up. Cool. And I'm like, um, 
I don't know why these traps are going to work. They haven't worked any other time unless it's like a cartoon, you know, they're like all butting up right next to each other. Yeah. Completely encircling the house, maybe. This is just a room full of mouse traps, wall to wall. <laughs> right. So the traps are up and Ernest, he's waiting for the grieving Lobo to come for his love. No doubt, like smoking a pipe and <laughs> got his hat down by his eyes. And he's like, now all we do is wait. And Lobo, he's got nothing to live for anymore. Yeah. This is a suicide mission. And he wants to bring down this Ernest dude. Um, Tell me that Lobo sets the ranch on fire. <laughs> okay. Lobo... He comes. He comes to the ranch house. What do you think happens besides him setting it on fire and defecating everywhere, probably? Probably they get a few shots off that doesn't hit Lobo. Maybe one hits him <laughs> just to sh- prove his heart, you know, how determined he is to get vengeance. Yeah. Uh, that would be my next step. Well... He gets trapped. Yeah. No doubt because he got shot and, uh, you know, he's distracted and all his guile and evasiveness went out the door because he got shot. Well, this is this is where the story gets crazy because he doesn't get shot. And, like, I have to wonder if this wasn't just Lobo giving up you know he his heart was broken he was going back to be with her but he's like i'm not gonna let them take me out like i'm just going to give up yeah because when Ernest finds him each paw is in a separate trap <laughs> <laughs> he's like you want me to get trapped here you go pat 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 <laughs> Um, also what is insane is this is the first time that Ernest has ever laid eyes on Lobo. That's how elusive and intelligent he was, which I just like, I find that hard to believe, but maybe it's true that he just has never seen him and he comes up on him and he sees Lobo in the traps with all of his legs in <laughs> the traps and it looks like this is the end for Lobo that's what he wants you to think <laughs> and you would think that Ernest in this moment he's been going after this wolf for so long and he's finally did it he's accomplished it and you've got the bounty coming maybe he's feeling pretty good here but no this experience has a profound effect on Ernest, and he realizes in that moment that he made a big mistake. Whoa. Yeah. He realizes that this animal that he had so vigorously been hunting was not a pest. It wasn't this nuisance, but a living creature that was loyal and loving and deserving of life. Uh, and I imagine in our, like, this western movie that's the moment he had 
his gun aimed at Lobo. And this is, you know, this is where he brings it down. To the he ground. looks into his eyes, lowers his gun, and turns it on himself. <laughs> Lobo barks. Does it shock the man into shooting himself? Or was it a warning not to shoot himself? We'll never know. <laughs> he doesn't turn the gun on himself. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, but doesn't he? What he does is he takes another photo. And this photo is around as well. So he took a photo of both of these wolves right after he'd captured them. And then he drags Lobo back to the ranch house, just like he did Blanca. And Lobo is still howling, that sad howl. And that night, he dies of his injuries. So not showing him a lot of mercy, you know... He comes in there and realizes he's made a mistake. Instead of putting him out of his misery, he's going to drag him behind a horse and let him die from his injuries. <laughs> I don't think this guy learned a lesson at all. Ah, uh, I think, yeah, it doesn't really seem like it. I, I thought maybe he brought him back in the hopes that he could mend his wounds somehow. But it, you know, it was clear that it was a little too late. Regardless, like the story goes, he's a changed man after that. But I like I should have mentioned this earlier. He really was a very good artist. I saw some of his drawings and paintings he did of wolves and of Lobo and Blanca, and they're really great. I want them. Um, and like I have to wonder, somebody who draws a lot of nature, like how much did he change? <laughs> because make maybe he really did always like wolves. It's just now he just doesn't want to hunt them anymore. But do you know what I mean? Was he a nature lover all along? And this story has just been kind of conflated. I think it was a villain all along. And he's trying to have some redemption, but I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. I prefer my version where he gets his head exploded. Okay. Well, in an alternate reality, Ernest continues to live. And he dedicates his life to conservation and the wild and changing people's views about the environment. Because, you know, here was... Oh, the- I, he's just doing the entire <laughs> mini extinction playbook. He's got the bounty. Right. When it's too late, that's when he gains a heart. I'm surprised he didn't set up a reserve for Lobo. <laughs> You see why the story gave works? him a name. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Oh, now, now that I've killed him, now I can focus on saving him. <laughs> Get out of here. Here's a quote from Ernest. Ever since Lobo, my sincerest wish has been to impress upon people that each of our native wild creatures is in itself a precious heritage that we have no right to destroy or put beyond the reach of our children. So he kind of starts the conservation movement in North America after this. He's a big part of that. And he also is, I think, a co-founder of the Boys of America. Hmm? Wait, wait, Boy Scouts. Oh. (laughs) The Boy Scouts of America. America? (laughs) The Boy Scouts of America. Wow. (laughs) We're the boys of America. Whoa. 
Oh, boy. Also, Lobo's Pelt, that's still around. And that's at the Ernest Thompson Seton Memorial Library and Museum in New Mexico. He gets a memorial library? Yeah. (sighs) I guess there's room for a redemption arc in this story. (laughs) I'm not buying it. Okay. One thought... I don't know what happened to the rest of those wolves. Like, you know, did somebody in the pack just move up or did they just fall for the bait as it were after that? And it was easy to take them down without the guidance of Lobo. Well, this is when uh, mid pack dynamics, you know, someone gets to step up. Yeah. The real heroes come out. (laughs) One's doing all the work. Look how salty you are about this story. (laughs) I think we're supposed to be rooting for Ernest. I do not wish to do so. Okay. 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 Wow. We're not done. So Lobo's gone or extinct. Uh, That was in 1894. And even though Ernest sort of starts this movement to save wolves and wildlife, not a whole lot really happens to protect them. By 1950, they are nearly extinct in North America. Then we start realizing that eradicating wolves was having a bad effect on the ecosystem and that keeping them around was probably a pretty good idea. So in the 1970s, they get some real protection. You know, that's a like we're saying, an essential part of the extinction playbook. Yep. But in the, with the wolves in particular, they they really do have a positive impact on the imp- environment and the proof in the pudding is Yellowstone. This isn't a new story by any means, but the ecosystem in the park there had been suffering for years and in 1995 they released 31 wolves and there are all these studies about how those wolves have continued to have just this big positive impact on the ecosystem as a whole there like it's increased biodiversity the trees are thriving they've even altered the flow of streams through the park like, and this is just by having an apex predator and culling you know the number of animals that they are considered their prey and the domino effect from there yeah to super simplify it I, th- I think there's a few other dynamics besides them just culling, you know, the hooved... The herds. The herds, yeah. But yes, like, all of that does have, like, a butterfly effect on every little aspect of it there. And now it's coming back. Yellowstone is thriving. But just, it's so funny because even right after when they released those wolves, some hunter went out there and killed one of the wolves. Like, it doesn't matter how many times you tell us all the positive impact they have. We just cannot help ourselves. We've got to kill them. So, yeah. Well, as long as, you know, do an about face after you kill them and say that you're sorry and want to do a conservation (laughs) effort, maybe that hunter's going to get a memorial library. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh... So that's Lobo. I have another story to tell you, but do you have? I think you've told me all your thoughts on Lobo. Yes. I don't really need to hear anymore. 
except I definitely think I need to sit down and watch the Disney movie. And I think there's other movies. Have you heard... Does this story sound familiar? Have you actually heard this before? No. No, right. You'd think I would have. What's wrong with me? It's probably not a very good movie. Pretty sad. Crazy story, and I know it's not fully extinct i know the wolves are not fully extinct but i still think it works and i was just like super excited about it so i had to tell you i'm gonna let it pass okay even though it's not a full-on extinction also partly i wanted to tell you because it's a new mexico story i used to live in new mexico i love it there we've talked about that on the show Mm -hmm. um so i have a side story about other new mexican lobos there are a few sports teams in New Mexico called the Lobos. Yes. Um, the UNM, that's the University of New Mexico, that's their mascot. They got it in 1920. Before that, they were just called the University Boys or the Varsities. Come on, University Boys. Give them a good fight. Uh, what is that? I wonder if that was a thing they did in the 20s, like a common mascot for all universities, you know? Come watch the university boys take on the other university boys (laughs) in a varsity matchup of varsity versus varsity. (laughs) Okay. But in um, 1920, the school adopted Lobo as their nickname and then... Later, they'll use that for their sports teams like uh, football, baseball, hockey, basketball. If you go to their website, the hockey website, which is what I remember the Lobos from. I think one time we went to a hockey game, a Lobos game, and we didn't even go inside. We just went to a tailgate party in the parking lot. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'm, I was a child in that scenario i was not a college kid partying or anything just yeah that was something my parents decided to do and take us to i maybe i'm remembering it wrong i do not remember seeing the game though yeah um and on their website it says welcome to halbuquerque 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 like because it's you know in albuquerque isn't aren't they which one is in Las Cruces? That's not the Lobos? You know what? They might just call all sports teams Lobos in New Mexico. UNM is not in... where? No, that's, that's in Albuquerque. In Albuquerque. Whoa. Yeah. All right. So the story about this. There was this one alumni, Bruno Dykerman. He's this real estate agent, insurance agent guy Uh, And he started this tradition of having a live wolf mascot. And this guy, I guess he's like hot stuff in Albuquerque. And I found this one quote from Elsie Ruth Chant. She was the class of 1923. And she says, all of the girls on campus wanted to be seen with him. He was an accomplished concert violinist as well as being a successful businessman. And he was rich. He drove a Stutz Bearcat convertible around town, and all of the girls would compete to get rides with him. Sometimes he had five or six girls in the car, and when he finally got married, he left broken hearts all over campus. 
Anyway, he either caught it himself or he paid to have a wolf captured in the Mount Taylor area. The wolf was brought into school and a student by the name of Bowman would take it on a leash to the football practice area. Man, 20s are a different time, huh? What is a Stutz Bearcat convertible? (laughs) Sounds like a cool-ass car. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, And, of course, he paid somebody to go catch a wolf. Little rich kid. (laughs) Concert violinist is going to be able to catch a wolf. (laughs) Drive his convertible out there with his girls. Trap a wolf. (laughs) Maybe, dude. I could see. No. (laughs) I could see a wolf tied up in the back. Right? He, he, like, drives up through a drive-in. You give him money? You need skills. <laughs> Give now nah, you're right i don't think it was him who caught it there was somebody else but this guy uh all right so they have this wolf and i guess they decided the cheerleading squad was going to take care of it like that was their responsibility now like <laughs> hey, hey ladies <laughs> take care of this wild animal would you? Could you put it in your locker room or something? Like, we didn't really think this through at the time. Did but... they just get like a dog that kind of looks like a wolf? Right? <laughs> Jeez. Um, every game they would put the wolf in a harness and they'd bring it out to the field to kind of hype the crowd up. Um, which, yeah, I'm sure that would work. <laughs> and I'm assuming like a 1920s game. You were just tore up out of your mind, right? You mean like hyped up? Or? I just assume like there's a lot of alcoholic beverages being consumed at, at events. Well, probably. One thing I know is everybody's wearing a suit. It, well, yeah, that's true. Everyone's wearing a suit. And a hat. And un- inside the pockets of those suits... Are flasks. Exactly. Yes. So And inside that flasks, some hooch. <laughs> okay, so there's a game in the late nineteen twenties and there was an incident with a child who was oh, heckling God. Heckling the wolf? <laughs> yes. Oh. Heckling teasing Lobo. I don't know specifically what he said or what he was doing. Like did he have a stick? Uh, what? We don't know how drunk the kid was. Right. <laughs> right. But whatever it was at this game, and you've got to, like, he's probably, this wolf has been heckled before. Whatever it was this time sent him over the edge. And um, he bit the child. That's the end of the Lobo. Yeah. Huh? they Lobo 2. They dispose of the wolf. Which just, I don't know how I feel about it. I think it's like we we it's put, not his fault. Yeah, he didn't ask to be born into being a mascot, and now you're trying to foot him with the bill. Now you, this is you're bringing this yeah, back bringing to Ernest. Yeah, right. I love it. I love that callback. <laughs> Doesn't quite make sense, but well, I'm it, really it does to, to me. I'll leave it in. 
So after that, they stop using a real wolf as a mascot for athletic events. And and I guess there's like a huge gap because it wasn't until the 1960s that they implemented like a human mascot, you know, in a suit that was called Lobo Louie. Okay. And then in the 80s, they get Lobo Lucy. So they get two wolves. I know that they did it because it rhymed, but like, it'd be cool if we did a, like, we honored Blanca, you know? Blanca and Lobo. Well, we know that the stories of Blanca and Lobo didn't really turn out too great. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's my New Mexico. It'd be like if, you, if your team was named the Old Yellers. <laughs> oh, jeez. And you're like, hmm. Not really a happy ending for that. Go team. Oh, boy. Well, that was my New Mexico Lobo story. Don't they also have a really cool baseball team out there? Like a triple A? Isn't that the... Uh, I mean, they have... Albuquerque, they have the Isotopes. Yeah, that one. I love that that name. Which is great because they got it from the Simpsons. Simpsons, you know, uh, Springfield being nuclear power plant city... Their baseball team is called the Isotopes. And Albuquerque Isotopes. Go Topes. Go Topes. And that's because they set off nuclear, the nuclear test bomb there? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. And also probably one of the most beautiful states in all of the states. Do you agree? Yeah. It's up there. Top three most beautiful states. Gorgeous. New Mexico. Yeah. The best. It's got the desert. It's got like the mountains. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. Well, that's my story. Uh, kind of sad. Well, it's not often that we end on a happy note in an <laughs> extinction event. <laughs> right. But you should be used to that by now. Maybe next time. Maybe you, next time. Jack, earlier this week, I was talking to you about possibly sometime having you. Yeah. Do the episode and research no, I've been thinking it. About it. You were thinking about it, mm-hmm. and then just tell me the story. Yep, that might be kind of cool. It's gonna happen. It is gonna happen. Okay, so that is very exciting. We're gonna flip the script. I'm gonna tell the educational part, and Melissa is gonna do no work beforehand. Yes. And just be snarky and criticize. What I'm going to do is I'm going to spend like weeks writing jokes and they won't even you make see, sense. You see, you've already, you're doing too much. <laughs> okay. One last thing before we go. If anybody out there wants to give us a review, a positive review, Ugh. please do it. This is what we've come to? I We have, I just think we've been doing this for five seasons, like... And we have one. And that's rev- been our a calling card is we don't ask for reviews. But that's how more people get to learn about extinct animals is if you, the algorithm for Apple podcast needs reviews. If the algorithm. We have one review in America. One review. That's on us. <laughs> Guys, if you want to leave a review, tell someone else about it. Give us a star. Is that how it works? I don't know. I don't know. Do something on Apple Podcasts if you'd like. 
but that's it for this episode maybe frogs and toads next week we'll see thank you guys so much for listening bye bye did you ever feel so bad inside A Peg Leg Deer production.